Atamarie, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all in the house of God. Uh, we're going to get straight into the Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Or if you don't have that, you can, you're more than welcome to follow along on the screens. Let's read together. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. Interesting that he thinks of healing as work. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, indicating that he wasn't the only one who was thinking this way. All the religious people in the room were. He says, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your donkey, your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? In the Greek, that word set free is the same word that he's used for untie the ox. And so actually that could be read something like this. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox? Who uh, Then should not this woman be untied or set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he had been doing. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you that it challenges us. And God, we just say this morning, Lord, that we are prepared to be challenged. We come and we bring our lives and we place them beneath the authority of your word. And we ask God this morning that we would be a people who truly reflect your heart. Lord, I pray in this story that we wouldn't identify with the religious leaders, but that we would identify, oh God, with you. Lord, help us become a people who truly reflect your heart to this world in Jesus' name. And everyone said, have you ever noticed that in close relationships that you have with people, you tend to have what I would call familiar battlegrounds. You have the same arguments that you return to again and again and again. In close relationships, you have contentious issues that come up a lot. In the people you live with, I don't know, it could be a, a familiar battleground in which you argue about who does what chores. It could be a familiar argument when you argue about how much time you spend with that friend who they think isn't good for you. It could be a familiar argument where you argue about that habit that someone has of chewing really loudly with their mouth open or I don't know. There's a lot of people who are looking side to side right now. I'd encourage you to be careful with the looks this morning in the house of God, especially those who are married because listen, in marriage, there are a lot of familiar battlegrounds, aren't there? There's a lot of places that you go to again and again. And the most amazing thing is, is that you can start arguing about this thing, this completely unrelated 
important thing. And by the end of the argument, somehow without you knowing, you've returned to the familiar battleground again. You end up there, you're like, I have no idea how we got there. Don and I, one of our familiar battlegrounds uh, was the fact that we used to have a cat. Now the cat lives with Tali. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shita, pray for me. Okay, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and in this text, we see Jesus returning to a familiar battleground for him and the religious leaders. He's returning to a familiar place of contention. You see, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus has like a reoccurring argument with the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And it's about this issue of healing on the Sabbath. This is a familiar battleground for Jesus. He's already argued about it with the religious leaders in Luke chapter 6. He'll argue again about it with them in Luke chapter 14, which is only one chapter away. We'll see this argument again pop up in Matthew 12 and also John 5. And this is important because it makes us ask the question, why is Jesus returning to this familiar battleground? Why is Jesus returning to this place of contention? I don't know, but if you're anything like me, you try and avoid, right, the familiar background of a battleground. You try and avoid the familiar place of contention, but Jesus is purposefully going there again and again and again. And that must make us ask, why is he doing that? You see, the reason that Jesus is returning to this familiar battleground again and again is because there's something about this situation which reveals something about the hearts of the religious people. There's something we there? There's something about healing on the Sabbath, which reveals something about the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people that they not only need to be aware of, they need to repent of. And this, so let's look at what's really happening when Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. You see, the thing that you need to understand is that Jesus healing on the Sabbath is really a clash of two things. It's a clash of human rules versus human need. That's what's clashing here. And there's something about this clash which is revealing something about the religious leaders. Let's look at what I mean by human rules first. When I say human rules, I'm using that uh, title very, very intentionally because many of you will know that God did have a rule of the Sabbath. He did have a rule about the Sabbath. And I'm going to read it to you in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12 to 15. There she is, the new cat owner. Now I just shared with the church how you took our cat in an act of mercy. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> this is what God, uh, Moses said, and obviously God through Moses, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Now look at the next verse because this is important. He goes on to say, remember 
that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched deliverance. This is important. He's tying celebration of the Sabbath to deliverance of God's people. Notice that because it'll be very important later in the message. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, I need you to know that this rule that God instituted around the Sabbath is not actually the contentious issue between Jesus and the religious leaders. How many people know that in religious communities, you have what God said, and then you have the man-made rules that grow up around what God has said. And the Jewish people were so meticulous about trying to keep God's rules or God's law that they created all sorts of rules around the rules that God said in an effort to show people how to outwork the things that God had asked them to do. There was one Jewish book of tradition which actually added 39 activities, explicit activities around what Jewish people were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. There were other books of Jewish tradition in which it explicitly told you in minute detail how you were to look after your cattle on the Sabbath. Still other times, rabbis would have very contentious debates over whether or not it was appropriate to offer medical help on the Sabbath. This was something that they actually argued about and many concluded that actually you could only offer medical help to a person on the Sabbath if their condition was life-threatening. And actually, this is what the religious leader is referring to in this verse. He's saying, even though this woman has been bound and hurting for 18 years, because her life, her, her condition is not life-threatening, you should have healed her on one of the other six days and definitely not on the Sabbath. What I want you to see is that Jesus isn't violating what God said about the Sabbath. He's violating what man said about the Sabbath. He's violating the rules, the man-made rules that have grown up around the Sabbath. Now, the thing is, even though those rules were man-made, didn't make it any less important to the Jewish people. You need to understand that for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was like a mark that made them who they were. They were concerned that the encroaching culture would try and steal their identity. And so for them, the Sabbath was part of what made a Jew a Jew. Isn't it fascinating how the man-made rules that we can put around God's rules can become central to our identity? And we would be silly if we thought that that doesn't happen in the church even today. Because we have a whole host of man-made rules that have grown up around God's rules that have become central to who we are. And if you want some examples of that, just talk about the time when, if you've been in church a while, when they started to try and bring electric guitar and drums into the worship. Oh Lord, it was as if Satan himself had walked into the church because people had an understanding of what they thought church was. This was a man-made rule that had grown up and it was being transgressed. Oh my gosh, remember the fuss when women stopped wearing skirts in church and men stopped wearing ties. Because there are man-made rules. Don and I had a genuine discussion today before we came to church about whether or not he could wear a hat when he emceed. 
a hat and a cat. No, sorry, I'm just bringing up the cat too often now. Can you imagine what would happen if we tried to not do crunchies on a Sunday morning? Would Elam still be Elam without crunchies? Because the reality is that even today, there are a whole host of man-made rules that grow up around things that God said. And we would be lying to say that they don't become important to us. We need to be aware of the things that we're holding to that are outside what God said hold to. We need to let that challenge us this morning. So the first thing that this is a clash between is human rules. And then the next thing that's clashing is human need. This is a clash of human rules versus human need. In this story, Jesus sees a woman who is crippled. And the text makes clear that she is crippled by a spirit. Some texts call it a spirit of weakness. Others call it a spirit of infirmity. Whatever the name of the spirit, what the text is making clear is that something in the spiritual is manifesting in the physical. Something in the spiritual is manifesting in her physical body and she can't straighten up at all. Now, I don't want to move past this point without offering some form of clarification. See, in the Gospels, we see various examples of demonic spirits inflicting different sorts of illnesses on people. There is no doubt that the spiritual can and does impact the physical. However, at other times, the Gospels also show that these same illnesses can just be physical illnesses. What I'm saying is that when you see a person who is manifesting some sort of illness, sometimes there might be a demonic spirit at work and that person is in need of deliverance. And sometimes actually what that person needs is healing. And if we treat everything like it is one and the same, we are not doing the biblical response. Because Jesus makes clear that sometimes the need is deliverance and sometimes the need is healing. In this case, this woman has a spirit of infirmity that is causing her inability to stand up straight. This woman is in need. She is broken, she is suffering, and she has been broken and suffering for 18 years. Luke's language in this text is actually quite medical because remember by vocation, he's a doctor. And so many commentators have actually concluded that her issue is her spine is fused and she cannot bend at all. She's in need. She is broken and she is in need. And this clash between human rules and human need results in two different responses. The response of Jesus and the response of the religious leaders. Jesus responds by prioritizing human need over human rules. He responds by prioritizing human need over human rules. We call his response compassion. That's what Jesus does. He responds to this woman in a way that is 
compassionate. He exercises compassion. And compassion is one of those big biblical words which actually describes the character and nature of God. When God first reveals, self-reveals his character to humanity in Exodus 34, did you know the first thing he calls himself is a compassionate God? That's the first word God uses to describe himself. And what compassion is, is compassion is God's response to human brokenness and need, which results in acts of forgiveness and deliverance. If you have ever wondered how God responds to you in your brokenness, if you have ever wondered how God responds to you in your lack, if you have ever responded, how, wondered how God responds to you in your need, he named his response by an attribute of his character. It's called compassion. He responds with acts of forgiveness and deliverance. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this text. You see, Jesus' compassion manifests in several ways. Firstly, he calls to the woman. Did you notice that in the text, she didn't initiate contact with Jesus at all? He's teaching in the synagogue and he sees a woman who is in pain. He sees a woman who is bound. He sees a woman who has been struggling for 18 years and his compassion cannot abide it to stay that way. He doesn't wait for her to come. He doesn't even require an act of faith on her part. He just calls to her because the reality is that compassion calls. Have you noticed? Compassion removes barriers to people's deliverance. He sees her. He's moved by compassion. He can't let the situation abide. And so he calls her forward. That's what the text says. He calls her forward. And I need to speak to this for a second because if you're in the room and you have any desire to do any sort of ministry for God, you need to get this on lock. The motivation for ministry is always compassion. When you see the brokenness and the need of people and you cannot abide it, it breaks your heart. And so you are compelled to call. You are compelled to reach out. You are compelled to do something about it. This is particularly important if you feel called into a ministry of deliverance and healing. It is not good enough for the church to just want signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders. It is not good enough for us to just want acts of deliverance for the sake of putting power on display. Every single person who I talk to who is gifted in deliverance or healing ministry, push them to their core. This is what they'll say. They'll say, it breaks my heart to see a person bound. It breaks my heart to see a person not living in freedom because the motivation for ministry must always be compassion just as it was for Jesus. And so in compassion, he calls to her, he heals her. But more than that, did you see that he placed value on her? He calls her daughter of Abraham. Daughter of Abraham, daughter of the people of God, daughter of promise. He calls her, get this, an insider. And this is important because this woman actually would be considered an outsider on two counts. She's a woman 
which in the ancient Near East automatically meant that you were on the outskirts of society. I've talked to you about this before. But more than that, she is a woman who has been struggling with illness for 18 years. And there was a big overarching idea in this society that if you were suffering from a long-term illness, you were stricken of God, right? You had done something to deserve it. And so she's considered an outsider on two counts. And Jesus sees this woman who is called outsider, who has felt like she doesn't belong, doesn't fit in. And he says, daughter of Abraham. He says, you might feel like an outsider, but I call you an insider. I call you part of the people of God. And let me tell you today, you might have sat in this church and you might have felt like you might have been coming for, it could even be years. And you might have felt like an outsider to what is happening. Like you don't think right, like you don't dress right, like you don't have the right experience. You might have sat in this church and felt like an outsider. And you need to understand today that compassion calls to you. Compassion calls to you and says, you might feel like an outsider, but I call you to the center of what God is doing in this place. You might feel removed, but you're not. See, if you've ever wondered today how God responds to you and your lack, your brokenness, this is how He responds. He calls to you. He values you. He delivers you. Why? Because our God is a compassionate God. You need to understand that the ministry of compassion always removes barriers to people's deliverance. I'm going to say that again. The ministry of compassion removes barriers to people's deliverance. The interesting thing is that obviously the reaction of the religious people is totally opposite. Totally opposite. In fact, the Bible describes the reaction as indignant. It says in response to what Jesus does, the synagogue leader gets up. And again, the indication of the text is that he is representing an attitude of all the religious people there. The synagogue leader gets up. He doesn't even address Jesus, right? He addresses the crowd of people gathered and essentially gives them a growling, you know? He tells them why everything Jesus has just done is wrong. He's like, there's six days this woman could have been healed. Why did she need to be healed on the Sabbath? He gives them a good growling as to why what Jesus did was wrong. And I find this reaction heartbreaking. The Bible calls him indignant. Did you notice in the text, they never try to challenge whether or not the woman has been healed? It's never up to debate, up for debate. Clearly the woman has been healed. And The thought occurred to me as I read the text, how many years had he witnessed this woman in her condition? How many years had this bent over woman been in and around his synagogue meetings and yet he couldn't even express joy or any sort of warm feeling that a woman that he had witnessed be bound for 18 years had suddenly been liberated? And said the stated reaction is indignation. And what that means in the text is boiling wrath against sin. His reaction is to be boiling mad. 
And it indicates that he sees Jesus reaching out in compassion to a broken woman and healing her. He sees that act as sinful. So Jesus matches the energy (laughs) and calls this response hypocritical. Luke 13, verse 15 to 16, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And I said earlier that Jesus is using a play on words, that the same word he's using for untie is the word that he uses to refer to the woman as being set free. In other words, he's saying this, you'd set free an ox or a donkey on the Sabbath, but you wouldn't set free a woman. He's saying you would set free an animal, but you wouldn't set free a human. He's saying your rules around the Sabbath are making you place more value on animals than people. And he describes this as hypocritical because while compassion removes the barriers to people's deliverance, hypocrisy puts them up, doesn't it? Hypocrisy puts up barriers between people and deliverance. Compassion moves Jesus towards healing and hypocrisy would have prevented the woman's healing that day. And the word hypocrite in the Greek is a very interesting word because actually its original usage was to describe a part that a Greek actor played in a play. Someone who is just playing a part. Someone whose performance on the outside is not reflected on the heart, on the inside. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this battleground of the Sabbath, this clash between human need and human rules, let me tell you what it reveals. It reveals that your faith is nothing more than a performance. might look good on the outside, but it's missing the heart on the inside. Because that's the incredible thing about this text. While the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of violating the Sabbath, in reality, he's fulfilling it. You remember I read out earlier in Deuteronomy 5 that the reason God gave to observe the Sabbath was because he had delivered Israel out of bondage in Egypt. The Sabbath celebrated deliverance. What better day to release a woman from her bondage than the day that celebrated when the people of God were delivered from their bondage? More than that, Jesus explicitly said in Mark 2.27, he said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't created for man to serve it. The Sabbath wasn't created for man to be subservient to it, to be secondary to it. The rule of the Sabbath 
was not to be prioritized above man because the rule of the Sabbath was created for man. It was created because a compassionate God knew that humans would need a rhythm of rest built into their lives. It was created because God knew that humans would need to be delivered from their bondage by a compassionate God. The heart that gave the rule of the Sabbath was a heart of compassion. And so compassion couldn't violate the Sabbath. Compassion fulfilled it. See, this is the incredible thing. When we grow up man-made rules around God rules, we start to think people are violating things that actually Jesus came to fulfill. See, the religious leaders miss it because their faith is all about external rule keeping and it misses the heart. Listen to me. If your rules are more important to you than people, Jesus calls it hypocrisy. Jesus calls it performance. Because you might have the external, but you have missed the heart. See, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gets up and he basically gives the purpose statement of his mission. He gives the heart of his mission. And everything in Luke's gospel is is patterned after this purpose statement. Do you know what he gets up and says? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This is the heart to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, this is the heart. This is the heartbeat of ministry. This is the heartbeat of deliverance. This is the heartbeat of compassion. This is the heartbeat of why we do what we do. Preach good news to the poor. Freedom for the captives. Sight for the blind. Liberty for all those who are bound. This is the heart of compassion for broken people. This is the heart for people who have need. Friend, I am imploring you today. Don't let your rules become more important to you than the heart of compassion for people who are in need because Jesus says that when it does, it's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy creates barriers to people's deliverance, but compassion tears them down. Let me tell you today, that when processes become more important to you than people, it's become a performance. When upholding a system of rules is more important to you than the people that the rules were created to serve, it's become a performance. When you are using the rules to serve yourself instead of serving people, it's become a performance. When our rules are putting up barriers to people's deliverance, it's become a performance. When our rules will only accept people into church if they look or behave or sound a certain way. It's become a performance. Why? Because it missed the heart. See, the Sabbath wasn't violated by compassion. Compassion fulfilled it. Meeting humans at their point of need didn't violate God's rule. It fulfilled God's rule. Because the heart that gave the rules in the first place was a heart of compassion. If the band would like to join me, 
See, this story ends uh, with this verse. In verse 17, this is what he says. It says, when he said this, he being Jesus, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted at all the wonderful things he was doing. Let me tell you that the people weren't delighted because the leaders were humiliated, all right? They weren't like, shame, you know, that's wasn't the energy, okay? They weren't delighted because the leaders were humiliated. They were delighted because a ministry of compassion had prevailed over a system of rule-keeping. And rightly so. Because imagine for a second what would happen if Christianity truly embodied this. In a world full of systems where rules seem to prevail over people. In a world where we feel like financial systems, governmental systems, educational systems so often fail the people that we think they are meant to serve, just imagine if the church was a place where the ministry of compassion prevailed. Imagine what it would look like if we became a people who removed barriers to people's deliverance instead of setting them up. Imagine if we became a people who truly knew what it meant to prioritize people over process. Imagine if we put down the man-made rules that served ourselves and and instead served others. Imagine if we created a place where systems and structures came secondary to the people that they were created to serve. Imagine a place where healing on the Sabbath was celebrated. Do you know what I think would happen? I think that the opponents of the gospel would be humiliated. But the people, can you imagine how delighted the people would be? I pray that we embody a ministry of compassion. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you are in this place today and you have felt like an outsider, if you are in this place today and have felt like I will never fit in, if you are in this place and you have convinced yourself that your brokenness and need will separate you from God forever, I pray today that what you hear is compassion calling. Because today Jesus calls to you just as he called to the woman who had been bound by infirmity for 18 years. And he is calling you today to a place of freedom, hope, healing, deliverance. Friend, he is calling you to himself. And so today, if you hear the call of compassion and you deeply desire to heed it, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to compassion's call. The call that is calling you who feels like an outsider, come be an insider in the kingdom of God because I died to win that for you. Because that is what Jesus is saying. And so if that's you in this place and you feel compassion calling, I'm going to count to three and if that's you, raise your hand. One, two, three. Three, if that's you, raise your hand. Thank you. God bless you. 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 Awesome. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner 
in need of a Saviour. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen.